HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host, Bill Bannum, and today I am joined by Elizabeth Williams, President at Candler Chase. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. Thank you very much for having me. So firstly, Elizabeth, please tell listeners about your career background, your role at Candler Chase, and a little bit about what the company does. Okay, well, for more than uh, 20 years, at least that's as many as I'll admit to, I've been, uh, I've been working in the marketing and uh, corporate communications field here in Canada, and um, I've had the pleasure to work with some great big brands like Rogers and the Bank of Montreal and uh, Aon and some smaller companies too, some startups and some mid-sized companies, and so I've, I've sort of uh, been in the middle of watching them as they try to build their brands and engage their employees and do all of that stuff at the same time. And um, last summer, uh, in 2017, I, um, I decided that I wanted to take some of what I had learned about the intersection of marketing and HR out on my own and, and give that just a bit of focus because it felt like an area of opportunity for me. And, and I think that came out of this insight I had at my, at my last gig at ADP Canada where I realized that the biggest threat to any brand is not the competition or the product or the pricing, it's the people that we let represent that brand. And if we don't do a great job of, of helping them understand our values and what we're on about and what we do and how we matter, um, then, you know, we, we really set ourselves up to be pushing a rock up a hill all the time when it comes to the brand experience that our, our customers have. I completely agree. And just to add to that, in a, in a time of uh, talent wars, as I keep getting told by different guests, it, it's super important to be able to have uh, a positive employer brand, something that appeals to top talent and, and is able to retain people. So I'm, I'm completely on the same page with you there. So um, according to the Candler Chase website, 70% of organizational change fails. Oh, my goodness. How can a solid communication strategy improve those odds by making sure that leaders and HR pros have the right conversations with the right people at the right times? Well, I think that we can lay a lot of the blame for um, failed organizational change at the feet of communication. Not all of it. I think we all know um, change initiatives that have gone south without the help of poor communications. But my experience, and certainly a lot of the reading I've been doing, suggests that when you leave the communication to the sort of end of the project, whether that whether that changes, you know, a, a merger or a downsizing, or maybe you're just rolling out a new enterprise platform for for the you know time tracking system, the when communication gets left left to the last minute, as it often does, um, you're you're already kind of in a hole, and then to make it worse, often the the people left standing when the music stops on who's going to communicate this is the poor HR department, and the you know HR pros are many wonderful things, but most of them aren't communicators, and so what then happens is a lot of running around saying, well, who can help us you know communicate this tomorrow, um, who can help us get the message out who can make it engaging and fun and interesting for our our employees or who can help them understand the context of why we're doing this change. And so when you're trying to do that at the last minute, you're pretty much guaranteeing that you're not going to do a very good job of it. And so my 
uh, my area of practice and one of the things that, that I keep advocating is, you know, when you know you're going to make one of these big changes, and let's face it, none of this is a surprise to anybody at the top of the organization, go out and find somebody who can own the communications for it. And then my mantra is communicate early and communicate often. And even knowing that there are situations and kinds of changes, such as a downsizing, where you probably can't go out too, too early, nothing says you can't have uh, your messaging nailed down. And, and that's really just an exercise in understanding who do we need to talk to? What do they need to understand to to get behind this change, even if they don't agree with it? Um, what do they need to have in, in terms of understanding and context to, to understand why the organization is making this change? And then for me, the big thing that gets missed in any organizational change initiative is frontline managers. They are your secret weapon. Anytime you want to make any kind of a change in an organization, the extent to which you give them the right information in a way that they can digest and then share with their own employees is the extent to which you're actually going to succeed. And so I will tell people, if you do nothing else, write up some FAQs that you can give your frontline managers to help them deal with the questions that are going to come at them when a change comes through. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Now, listeners, sometimes ahead of an interview, I uh, I, I pop a note to our uh, prospective guests and I say, feel free to send over a couple of questions that you'd like to have included and uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you you sent back uh, a, a particularly interesting one because uh, you you've you've, uh, you've confessed to uh, to sometimes being a bit mean to HR people. So I, I'd love to know uh, why were you mean and uh, how guilty do you feel about it? Well, I guess I'll answer the second part first. I feel guilty enough that I went out and started a consultancy to deal with my guilt. So pretty gar- darn guilty. Um, and and I. The reason I was mean is, um, I, I tell people it's because marketers have daddy issues. And you ask any marketer, who's your daddy? And they're going to say to you, oh, revenue, market share, brand health, you know, units sold, cost of goods sold. Marketers, you know, live very much in a world of, of this week's or this quarter's numbers. And so when an HR person, as well-intentioned as they may be, comes, you know, bumbling along and says, oh, my goodness, I really need help with the recruiting website, and can you help me with an event? And, uh, you know, and I've got a big organizational change thing coming, and I need some help communicating it. They tend to get told to go find the door because there's no revenue there. And so marketers are, as much as I've always wanted to help them, um, I've had to say no to them more often than not because there simply weren't the resources in marketing. And, you know, the focus was always on revenue and sales and, and building the business. And, you know, and I will say that, that HR people have their own daddy issues too because you ask an HR person, well, who's your daddy? And they're going to say, Oh, it's it's you know time to fill empty roles. It's labor costs. It's engagement. It's culture. It's all of that. And so, um, and I think the thing that that I recognized finally, and it only took twenty years, um, is that those are two two sides of the same coin, right? So that employer brand that you talked about is is very much the purview of HR people, and that market brand, which is is essentially you know what is the what do your past, present, and future customers think of you as a place to do business? That's the purview of, of the marketing world. And, you know, if, if we go back to that notion that um, the success of a brand is based on the people who represent it, then it actually makes a lot more sense for me to have been polite to HR people over the years than to tell them to get lost and also that I'm not helping with the holiday party. Um, and, and so it's... It, 
it's not even just guilt that, that marketers should feel. It's actually, I think, a rising sense of panic because, as you just mentioned, you know, we, we are having a, a much tighter labor market now than we've seen in years. And particularly mid-sized and smaller companies are going to find themselves really at, at, on, their, on their heels if they're trying to compete for talent and they don't have a really strong employer brand that goes along with a really strong market brand. We frequently try and find exciting titles for our articles and, and podcasts. I think we might have found that there. Who's your daddy? That might be the uh, <laughs> the title of this one. So um, I, I think I can anticipate the answer from what you've said so far. But do you adhere then to the idea that today's HR pros, the best ones certainly, must to an extent also be marketing and communication savvy, i.e. able to use multiple communication channels to convey the company message, both internally and externally? I would say, they pro- yes, I guess they need to be aware that it needs to happen. Um, I think it's asking an awful lot to, to make them accountable for that. Um, and, and I think that this is where um, marketing and HR actually need to join forces and go and start advocating to their senior leadership teams for the resources to do that effectively, because it really does, you know, ricochet off every corner of the of the organization uh, when you do that well. And so I think HR could be not so much marketing savvy, but perhaps um, marketing advocates. And uh, and I think marketing needs to be people advocates. And I and I think that between them, I think they can make a very strong business case for the resources to build these internal and external brands for employees. We'll be right back after this message from Florida International University. Looking to get a leg up in your career? Florida International University has 20 years of excellence in online education and most master's degree programs can be completed in 12 to 24 months. Graduates know how to apply human resource strategies to advance corporate needs in the global market. The program is AACSB accredited and a one-year membership to the Society for Human Resource Management is included. To learn more, check out fiuonline.com forward slash HR podcast. Okay, now let's talk about change communication then, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've been pretty vocal about the fact that there's a gap. Uh, Can you you talk to us a bit more about that and and what that gap looks like in organizations and, and why it needs to be filled? Yeah, so I think that, that um, you know, we, we have this sort of thing on posters that says, you know, the only constant is change. And so my question is, well, if, you know, if the only constant is change, then why, why are we so bad at it? And I think it's because we don't properly consider the need to communicate change, um, as I said, early and often uh, throughout the organization. Because I think, you know, more and more it's um, – um, it's possible to for for employees to sort of pick up you know some little fact about the change and and it can almost overnight you know become some kind of rumor and then it becomes almost a legend internally and so what I see when we don't plan properly for for communicating change is you know now you're walking in and there's all this rumor and innuendo and um, you know gossip, for lack of a better word, going on in your organization. 
And you're trying to communicate over that. And so, you know, as soon as you're in a kind of defensive posture saying, no, 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 that's not true. Where did you hear that? Of course we're not doing that. As soon as you're in that defensive posture, you're not communicating effectively. You're simply doing damage control. And then I look at the amount of energy that now, you know, executives and project leaders are called on to to put into just putting out the little rumor fires that are all through their organization. And I and and so I, I find it sort of interesting that that um you know all that energy gets expended at the very, very end of a change initiative. And if we had just taken the same amount of energy and included it into the project planning and scheduled it and put the right resources in place that you know we wouldn't then be dealing with um, you know, miscommunication and, and all of the the cultural impacts that has, right? I, I think that, um, you know, we, we forget that, that uh, you know, a, a change initiative, perhaps it doesn't go that well. There's a lot of collateral damage around that too, right? It, it can take engagement, you know, down a bunch of notches. It can take a huge amount of management time to, um, to deal with. And then, of course, there's a whole recovery period after a change has not gone as well as hoped, um, where where you're sort of trying to rebuild trust and you're trying to rebuild engagement. And so my my thing about change communication is, um, you know, recognize that it's likely a gap in any change initiative you're doing and consciously and deliberately and mindfully sit down and say, what do we need people to know and uh, how best are we going to tell them? And it may not be a big effort, but at least you've acknowledged that you, you need to try. Which is a wonderful flowing lead in to the next question, which is uh, uh, around the fact that you are a recent speaker at uh, the Disrupt HR Kitchener Waterloo 2.0 event, which uh, the HR Gazette is proud to say we're the media partner of. Uh, Your session was called Great HR Builds Great Brands. Can you tell us briefly about that session and some of those learning outcomes? Yeah, that was a fantastic event uh, in in Kitchener Waterloo and um, at a full house, I might add, and very well organized. Um, and so I got to to get up with these other fantastic speakers and um, and unpack a little bit about what we've just talked about and the idea that when um, when marketers understand the business case for investing in an employer brand, it will actually become a no-brainer. So we know that top employers outperform the S&P by 86% and the market generally by more than 100%. I don't know that your average marketer on the street understands that. And I would suggest that, you know, I, I've been a marketer for a long time and I know how lazy we are fundamentally. And so, you know, if someone came to me and said, hey, we can get you the same results with less work on your part, I, I would be all about that. And so I think I think we have a an opportunity in HR to help marketers understand the value proposition of a really great employer brand. And it, it looks, you know, there's greater productivity, there's less absenteeism, um, the, the quality of the products goes up, and of course, revenue goes up. And so there's not a marketer on the planet who doesn't want to see that kind of bottom line payoff for less effort. And so I I got to talk a little bit about how HR people can maybe take some of that uh, data and take it down the hall to, to marketing. And between them, they can start building the business case for investing in an employer brand. Because right now, I think an awful lot of organizations would look at that and say, well, that's kind of fluffy. I call it fluffy bunny projects. And marketers and HR people forever have been told their projects are fluffy bunny um, because we don't come in prepared to measure it. We don't come in with 
an idea of the impact on the business. So my talk was really about taking what we all know to be true in terms of investing in employer brands and becoming a good employer uh, and putting the metrics against it that make it a, a, you know, a slam dunk in terms of uh, an investment the organization should make. And this interview so far has been a slam dunk, Elizabeth, I have to say. Uh, one, one final question for you for today. Uh, how can our listeners connect with you and how can they learn more about Candler Chase? Well, they can visit the website. It's candlerchase.com and uh, they will find all my contact information there or they can find me on LinkedIn at Elizabeth S. Williams and I am on Twitter as at bizmarketer, which is missing a few vowels. So um, one way or another, though, I, I generally turn up in a search like that. Perfect. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Elizabeth Williams, thank you very much for being a guest on the HR Chat Show. It was my very great pleasure, Bill. Thank you. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.